Welcome back to We Built This Brand. I'm your host as always, Chris Hill. And today I've got an exciting podcast for you. We are talking to Matt Michelli from Viral Nation. He is the co-founder and co-CEO along with Joe Galliese. They started the business back in 2014 and Matt helped lead the company from being an influencer marketing agency to a global and digital social innovation group that powers the social ecosystem through integrated solutions that align strategy, talent, media, and technology. Now, today, Viral Nation works with tens of thousands of influencers across the landscape, helping brands like Anheuser-Busch, the Coca-Cola Company, Hasbro, Meta, Oculus, Tencent, and Uber grow. Matt has even been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, and Vox, and he provides industry insight into outlets like Sportico. Matt, along with Joe, are also the recipients of the 2019 Ernst Sin Young Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. This was a fun conversation, getting to learn about their humble beginnings and how the company has grown over the years. I talked to Matt about everything from what makes a good influencer to how they're using AI to help stay on top of trends and stay relevant to the audience they're trying to grow, and even just asked him about what makes things go viral, both in the past and in the present. So this is a great conversation. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. I'm really happy to have Matt on. Hopefully we'll do another one. We can get Joe on the podcast too. But for now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Michelli from Viral Nation. All right. Well, welcome back to We Built This Brand. I'm your host as always, Chris Hill. And uh, with me today is Matt Michelli. Matt, it's good to have you here. Thank you, Chris. Looking forward to being here. Yeah. Happy to have you and happy to chat with you a little bit more about Viral Nation and um, the brand, the business you've built and the brands that you continue to help build for other people today. So yeah, let's let's dive right in. I'd love to talk to you about how this all got started because I noticed like you're not just a founder, you're a co-founder. You know, Joe unfortunately couldn't be with us today, but really happy to chat with you about everything that you know, how Viral Nation got started and everything that that entails. So how did you all meet? How did this get started? So Joe and I actually went to high school together in the greater Toronto area. We weren't friends. We were in completely opposite social circles, but we ended up reconnecting a couple of years later when we were in university. And it was coincidentally, we were in this class of the reintegration back into university class because him and I um, self-described as the degenerate scholars. And for the exact same reason, because we were both thoroughbred entrepreneurs that weren't really cut out for going to class and doing your typical degree, where we were, we had many startups, many businesses all the way through um, school. So we ended up doing that and we, we connected and it was this funny moment. And I always date back to it, which was, I was, I had this cell phone case accessory business at the time. Keep in mind, this was like 13 years ago. So the iPhone was still becoming a very prominent part of our society and cases weren't a thing. So I had imported pallets of cell phone accessories from China and I would sell them locally. And it was one of those moments very similar to Wolf of Wall Street where he had his cell phone sitting next to me and he didn't have a case on it. And I went into my bag and I said, you know what? I think you need a case for your phone. And then this is where it all started. So he then said to me, because we're very similar in our entrepreneurial thinking, there's many ways that we can increase your distribution because I was only selling them online. So to make that part, you know, long story short, that day was like the pinnacle and the changing of 
our lives basically because ever since then we've basically been inseparable where we've started you know multiple businesses some none of them being successful up until viral nation but there was a little bit of success before viral nation where Joe and I started a liquidation business and we would buy and sell pallets of product, damage packaging, online returns, um, demo products, and really sell them and make it accessible for virtually any income class to be able to afford um, different types of products. So at the time it was, it was really difficult for us because we were probably like 21, 22 years old and we were working 18 hours a day and our families like, and we were still in school. And our family said to us, it's like, you know, you guys can't keep at this pace. You're not going to be able to do it. And um, we were still in school and we still had hopes of finishing our degree, even though, I mean, we dropped God knows how many classes <laughs> during our tenure. But it was that where we said, hey, you know, this isn't something that we can scale, you know, exponentially uh, being a liquidation business. So there was this moment I'll never forget because Joe and I used to carpool together and he... 50-50, he'd be late, I'd be late. So one day I meet him, he's in the car and I get in the car and he's basically showing me how, you know, I think that Vine is going to be a place where people consume content and where we can potentially think about advertising. And I, and I said to him, because like, how, how can you even, you know, rationalize this in your brain? I mean, we don't, we don't know anything about advertising. We failed the marketing class. Uh, in university. So, but it was one of those moments because I always saw him. He was obsessed. I I was a Facebook user. Joe was an Instagram and Vine user. And he'd always be scrolling. I'm like, what are you doing? And it was, it was that time where he said, I love watching these people. They make super cool content. So we had this concept and it was very centered around how can these people on social media make money? So there's three founders, me, um, Joe, and Tony. Tony's best friend um, is a prominent hockey agent. And he had these a bunch of players. One of them was drafted fourth overall in the NHL draft that year. And he um, introduced us to this player. His name's Sam. And he said, hey, can you help Sam think about how he uses social media to eventually get sponsorships? But we realized that athletes, especially that had guaranteed contracts, really didn't care about doing social media endorsements or thinking about how social media can make them money. Because remember, they were getting paid 15, 20, 50 grand to go to a car dealership and sign autographs. Like they didn't really, at the time, they didn't really care about doing social media deals. Like nobody understood what that was. But there was this whole other world of normal people like us that, you know, are just regular average Joes, no pun intended, but um, that had a huge social media following. And there was this one gentleman, or he was a kid at the time, basically, his name's Ray. And we had sent probably 400 emails out that day, um, one night where we said, hey, every local influencer in the Ontario region, we sent an email to and says, hey, let us help you, no charge. We're going to be your agent. We're going to help you make money. So this one young gentleman responds. His name's Ray, and he takes a meeting with us. So we end up going to meet him the next day, and he was a parking lot attendant for an OHL hockey team. He had about three, 400,000 followers, and the most money he ever made was $100. And it was one of those moments where we met him, and we just said, we guaranteed him, we said, listen, this our only guarantee that we're going to make you is we're going to make you more money tomorrow signing with us than 
you were doing before. And he signed a contract literally on the spot, didn't read it. He's like, I trust you guys. I think you guys know what you're doing. And he, he took a big leap of faith. So fast forward a little bit, a little bit being two weeks, <laughs> we end up making him almost $6,000 in two weeks. And we were one of the first people to put a big brand on Vine. And this was Sugarcrest Cereal. And why it was so interesting, because it was, it sent a shockwave through the Viner community, where everyone was asking, how did you get a big brand deal? Because remember, this was 2014-ish, and big brand advertising on social media was virtually non-existent. Like People didn't even understand what the concept of an influencer was. So this deal ended up cascading into almost representing 50 influencers in six months. And then within a year, almost 100, where we were quoted in a Vanity Fair article as being like the CAA of influencers. And, you know, keep in mind, we were 23 years old at this time. And one of our secret sauces is we actually could really work with these talent on a one-to-one level. And we got them personally and what they were going through and how they were doing because we were like in their age gap, in their age range. And it worked really well. And then we just started scaling and more and more talent wanted to sign with us. And we were making people full incomes off social media. But really, we then started seeing that there wasn't really a need for middlemen in the equation. This was about a year, year and a half in where you'd have a brand go to an agency who would then come to us and we would do everything. We would do the creative, we'd work with the talent, we'd come up with the entire stream of work. And then what ended up happening was, hey, let's go and own the brand equation. Let's cut out the middleman and let's think about how we can scale as a marketing company and a talent company. So our talent benefit from the more brands we have internally and everything grows. So that was really a major catalyst for our growth. Um, when we really decided to own the brand side of the spectrum. And that started every year we kept doubling and doubling. Um, And really every year was all about adding core competencies to our marketing stack. So it was influencer. Then we added social. So we'd manage social for large organizations. We'd help them create social media content. We did paid and performance media. Then we did events. And then we really became a full service social and digital AOR for organizations. And then the third pillar, which is the one we're in right now, is a tech platform powering all of it. So it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey, but it's a, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting times, that to say the least. So I know I know from personal experience that starting a business with a friend is always an adventure. You know, figuring out how to how to start the business, how to get it off the ground and all that. So like, I, th- I think it's really cool that you've been able to, to go at it and to build this company up the way you have. So when you, when you started the company, like y- you mentioned, you mentioned that the influencers like dis- didn't need a middleman per se. Like what was, what was some of the early challenges? Like, was it the middleman? Was, were there other challenges um, that you faced? when you were starting and when did you really see validation in the business? It sounds like pretty early on, but was there a moment where you were like, Oh my gosh, this is it. We know we've got something here. Yeah. I think that there was, I think that there was a couple of major things. One was proving worth of what influencer marketing was both to the creator and to the brand, because nobody understood how much to pay for X, Y, Z deliverable. 
So what, what ended up happening very quickly is we started getting into traditional kind of marketing metrics to be able to prove value. So CPM based off viewership, CPM based on audience, like those type of metrics had to come in because to the brand, you'd go, hey, you know, give us a budget of a million dollars to do X, Y, and Z. And then to the creator, hey, you know, you get paid X, Y, and Z. And then the creator is like, no, I want a million dollars. And then we have to say to the creator, no, it's not worth a million dollars. But proving that was always a major, major headache because <laughs> creators had their own sense of worth and brands had their own idea of what things are worth because it was not programmatic. Like there was no standard rate card for this stuff at the time. Um, and then the other one was really just getting marketers to start putting marketing dollars into this concept called influencer marketing. Like I'll never forget just in these early discussions and people are like, what's an influencer? What do influencers do? Why am I giving it to these people on social media? Um, and that's how early we started in this game. Um, and, and that was, and, and remember, we were not marketers. And we were not like, we, we didn't even know what CPM was until like a year or two into this business. Because remember, we were hustlers, like we were pure, like sell stuff out of the back of our trunks type guys before we started this. And we're farmer entrepreneurs. That's the way we call ourselves. Like we've, our first business we together, we started literally on a farm. What was it, by the way? It was the liquidation company. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Our overstock and all of our product, we kept on Joe's grandmother's farm because um, that was the only place we could store it. So uh, we don't come, come from glamorous upbringings. We're not, you know, well-educated from that sense. Like we, we just learn and we adapt and we do the, like even to this day, our mantra is always do buy our clients and ensure our clients are successful and then the rest um, will come. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure when you're dealing with influencers and people that, you know, they have their own brand to put out into the world, right? Like they've, they've got to look a certain way and, and communicate a certain way. Like that's, that's always a challenge when you're bringing an advertiser into the picture and it's like, what's it going to cost me? How, how is this going to be a challenge? So yeah, that's, that's really cool. So that kind of leads into kind of the next thing. So you've, you've built this business, you've grown it. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, how you, you choose influencers to work with. I'd love to hear a little bit about like, how do you even identify? I mean, you can look at a lot of followers on, you know, today on TikTok and say, well, there's somebody with a million followers that should be an influencer, right? But I'm sure it's more than that. So what do you all do? How does that approach work? So there's really two two aspects and it's both qualitative and quantitative decision making. So tech has been an important part of our journey. So we are extremely data focused in our decision making. So we look at factors such as demographic, geographic, and then whatever you can pull um, both psychographic, which is very difficult to really understand. Because one of the things that you really want to do is really get into the data to understand things like, where's their audience? What's the makeup of male to female? What countries, you know, are they predominant in? What's their growth rates? Um, because one thing amongst influencers is growth trajectory is incredibly important because growth trajectory is usually indicative of um, popularity at that time because a, a declining audience usually means viewership isn't as active. So it's really both, you know, both sides of the spectrum, you know, there's, there's obviously human expertise in going in, in making these decisions, which our team is um, fantastic at, but really bringing in the data to help harness it. And then the other thing is just looking at what brands they've endorsed before 
and how they performed for those brands. Um, because one thing that you see a lot is, you know, you can have an influencer with an average of a million views on a piece of content, but the minute they do a branded endorsement, that million turns into 300,000. And what the brand thought they were paying for um, was, you know, 30% off their averages. So these, it, there's a lot of math involved in um, projections and understanding success. And like, that's, that's really the core part of where we advance our technology is to be able to do that. That's really cool. And I'm sure there's a lot of algorithms and things like that, that you all have developed to, to figure that stuff out. So that's really neat. My favorite one of these that we've encountered was, um, and this was more prevalent pre COVID was around audience authenticity. And it was, it, I, I did this eye test once where, um, I would look at an influencer and by just literally looking at them and looking at one post, I can tell what percentage of their audience was fake. Um, because I saw, and I saw this a lot where, um, especially in the blogger and photography community and people that called themselves bloggers, there was this entire circle of, inf- of these creators that would all promote each other's content. So these comments on all their content and the likes were actually from this huge network of people that were like-minded. So it created this artificial engagement and um, stickiness, even though it didn't really exist. And I found this whole thing and I uncorked it and I actually created this algorithm to be able to detect this kind of stuff. So, because that, that was, a, it's like, it's borderline fraud how, that it was and it was all managed through telegram like you should have seen this it was like this entire it was this network effect of what happened i've I've heard of some of that and you know definitely heard how it can artificially boost the algorithm so to speak so that's crazy that you have to have to do that but yeah you want to make sure when you're dealing with you know creatives or you know someone's going to represent a brand you know you want to make sure that they're going to you know do well by the people that are paying you to bring this person in and by, you know, the other side, you want to make sure the other person's happy too. So yeah, I get that. And that's, that's wild to, to even think about what other traits are you looking for? So you you said you can do an eye test and figure it out. You said you've got an algorithm to figure out. Is there anything like that? You're like, Oh, this makes a good influencer. I've always been a big believer in niches. Um, I've because like, listen, there's everybody's a vlogger everybody does funny stuff. Like there's, especially the TikTok revolution, like 98% of them are identical. I mean, they all do dances, they all do whatever. Like it's, there's not much differences, but I've always found in one of our key areas of success is diving deep into, um, and start owning verticals of niche type influencers. And really it, it ends up also helping the brand side case in point. Um, we've had in, in, incredible success around, splitting up verticals like um, family, like food, DIY, nurses, doctors, teachers. Breaking it out into those types of things has been incredible because then we can go to a brand, you know, say like our nurse pod, right? Like where we have maybe four or five of the biggest nurses on social. We can then go and we can create campaigns and packages of our talent specifically for these brands that are looking to promote against nurses. So that's one thing that I've seen be incredibly successful in the past. Um, but really, like on the brand side, it's working with brands that both have digital and you know digital footprints as predominant angle, and then also thinking 
it's very difficult to measure performance and effectiveness for a retail only client that doesn't do anything online. So really digitally first type brands, we've had some great success in, but it's just anyone that's really willing to push the envelope to explore different creative ways of engaging influencers. I think that's very important, but yeah, with influencers also understanding, you know, who's, who's growing, who's really prominent right now, who's trending. Those are all important variables. Yeah, that's, that's definitely important. And how far down the niche rabbit hole do you get? Meaning like, do you, do you work with some folks that are like hyper niche and like, they're not going to have a giant number behind them, but they're really influential or do you try to keep it more to the pop culture side of things? No, we definitely will, will dive deep into niches. Um, I'd say they're still like, we typically like, Follower count doesn't mean anything anymore to me anyways. But like if you had to benchmark it, I mean, we never work with anybody usually under 50K unless it's a very, very hyper niche type person. But I've seen two crazy ends of the spectrum. I've seen the most popular influencers in the world. And, And our test is always how much product could they sell? Out of something specific to their audience, how much product can they sell? We've done tests. Someone has like 30, 40 million followers they may sell $10,000 worth of product. One of the most successful influencers I've ever seen do anything sold $2 million worth of product and only had a million followers. So it's very hyper-specific to niche influencers that have a calling, that have a content focus, that have a clear path of why they're influential are bar none the most successful influencers. Um, and they do the best for the brands. I'm thinking of some of the times that I've, you know, bought products from people that have done promoted deals and things like that. And it's always the ones that take the time and be creative with it. Like Joel Haver, I think that's how you say his last name. Um, but Joel on, um, on YouTube right now, like he, I don't know if you know that creator or not, but he just did a promotion for Baldur's Gate three and he told him, you know, I can do whatever I want with this. And I'm going to do it this way. You know, they let him have free reign and he did it. And it was just, it was great. It was creative. It was engaging. Um, made me want to buy the game because I was just like, this is funny. This is entertaining. Oh, I didn't know this was an element of the game. This is actually interesting to me. And yeah, I, I can see how that influence means a lot. Cause you, I mean, I talk about this a lot with podcasting. If you have a connection with your audience, you're going to draw more people in and you're going to have a stronger influence on people. Podcasting for us is one of the ways we really see that benefit. And, you know, there's a lot of stats to show that there's a good draw and a good conversion rate on listeners to, you know, purchasing products and advertising and stuff. So I, I see where you're coming from on that and I see why that matters, but that's, that's really cool. So neat. Um, so as we move on now, so you're, um, so let's talk about, it was f- funny because it wasn't called viral nation to start. Um, it was actually called go viral nation. And the whole thing was go viral. Right. Like that's kind of how we had initially, we were going to be the country of people that go viral. That's kind of the thought process of starting it. But what ended up happening was this was one of those Facebook moments where, um, our logo, it looked like go viral. Um, that's the (laughs) way it initially, and this was like 60 days. So it wasn't exactly like a long-term thing, but it looked like go viral. And then we just decided let's drop the go because this doesn't make sense. We're just viral nation. And this was the collective of, you know, keeping it open to say we are where things go viral. And it was initially like we're how creators, you know, ultimately can go viral or viral creators. 
but it's adapted, right? And brands, you know, their whole thing is virality. Um, that, and this was early. Keep in mind, this was very early. No one understood the concept, but uh, we've run into some issues in the past where our emails um, may go to spam or something, depending on the company servers, because they think we're selling some sort of pharmaceutical or something like that. <laughs> so, and then when COVID happened, oh my God, right? We're like the virus, the viral nation. So, um, yeah, that's uh, a little bit of a backstory. That's that I, I laughed hard at the beginning because, like, one of the questions I got, I started a the business I started with one of my best friends years ago that did not end as well as we would have hoped was actually a social media marketing business. And it was right after Facebook said, okay, businesses can have a, you know, a place on Facebook and all this stuff was happening. And the question we got asked a lot in the South was, will this go viral? Can you help us go viral (laughs) all the time? So when I hear go viral, I'm just like, yeah, that's the, we get that from people all the time. So I do have to ask you though, what does make something go viral? Like what, what in your experience, I mean, you have a lot with influencers and brands and things like what have you seen that has made things successful and become viral? I'd say it's changed a lot in the past couple of years as the algorithms have shifted. I shifted. I think that it's incredibly difficult to do what you used to do. Like before, I'll never forget. There was ways that you can easily hack the algorithms to basically make any video get millions and millions of views, especially Facebook. Like that was the easiest one. I'll never forget the revolution of Facebook where these guys were growing millions of followers and millions of views. But um, now I think it's, it's timeliness and luck. Timeliness because jumping on a specific trend at the right time or doing the right content at the right time is I think probably one of the quicker ways now to do it. And this is where the integration of pop culture and social media have really taken, you know, to each other. Like case in point right now, like the quarterback on the Giants, right? Tommy DeVito, perfect example. His agent, who looks like a mob boss, has now gone viral, you know, since yesterday on social because of what happened in the game. But it wasn't people watching the game that did that. It was social media showing that Hey, this is the the quarterback's agent who looks like he's from, uh, you know, the Godfather. So like social media is using everything from pop culture and making stuff viral. It's not actually Netflix or these other channels that make something viral. Social media takes it and goes viral. Look at the Beckham documentary, right? Like you literally saw on TikTok and Instagram, millions and millions of people um, doing the whole thing around that song. It wasn't Netflix that did that. It was the fact that people hopped on the trend on social media. So timing timing is crucial for this kind of stuff. Long gone are the days where you see this random video um, just get millions and millions and millions of views for no reason randomly just because it's funny. Like it happens, but it's very rare compared to the way it used to be. Oh, that makes sense. And yeah, there's I can see how, especially with the way the algorithms have gotten more sophisticated, you would see that change and you would see that growth. So that's really cool. Thank you. Let's see here. So in, in terms of branding the business, you know, in terms of like positioning yourself as viral nation now, what have you learned about the brand and how has the name itself played into getting clients, growing the business? How has all that gone? One of the things that we've really worked on a lot was thinking of, Balancing the whole concept of Viral Nation and itself as a brand versus the end goal of obviously getting customers, which was, you know, on the brand side, interesting because 
in theory, right, a company like ours, we should be, you know, probably a, a media network on social media, right? Like if you actually think about it on our brand, like that would make sense. But we tried this early on and it didn't work as well to actually truly get customers because our business is very focused on B2B um, and bringing in large enterprises. So it's it's a little bit of, you know, catch 22 where social media can help onboard influencers, but we have like, and we've always had a plethora of influencers that we represented where we have to turn them down. But in order to yield large brand relationships, you have to start becoming more active on platforms like LinkedIn and um, being more active in traditional PR channels um, and our content strategy on our blog. So it really all depends on who your core customers are because I don't know, like we've never had a customer see us on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook who is a CMO um, and come to us for those services because they saw us on social. However, that's changed a little bit now where, you know, as times are converging, you're starting to see that pretty well everybody's active on social. So that strategy is really reinvigorated and viral nation. We pride ourselves on being active across our enterprise business and across our talent and sports businesses um, to truly become content partners um, and pump out a lot of content on social media and try to make it as either entertaining or as educational as possible. So people find some value in it, but B2B is very difficult on social to keep a true audience engaged. Um, It's very difficult because people like following either brands they consume or buy or you know, brands that put out really fun, con- fun and interesting content. So it's like, we're kind of in between of, you know, why would I follow these guys type thing? So I, it, it's always been difficult, but you know, we really do pride ourselves on content and pumping out content. Like we do a lot on our blog. Um, we do a lot on social now. So it's, but and how much people read it, that's the thing, right? like you, you really never know. Um, and who's ultimately reading it? Yeah, that's that's always the challenge of like you're you're helping these other people do really good work and get viral and get big, and then your own brand. It takes time to get in and focus on it and actually create content that's interesting that people want to follow and engage with. I know how big of a challenge that can be just running my own business. So sounds sounds like the problem doesn't change no matter what size business you're in. Clients, especially in the B two B vertical, I mean, they come to us all the time and. B2B is always the most difficult one to crack because it's how do you get other businesses to ultimately watch your stuff? Um, and that's where I think you're also well positioned because I do think that the podcasting universe is um, a place where people are truly consuming content as consumers. Um, but I mean, people as consumers that are listening to this also have jobs at places, right? So um, I think that this is a this is a vertical or this is a consumption content chain that I think will work um, a lot better long-term because this is very specific to a specific type of listeners looking to learn more about it. One of the beauties of podcasting, going back to what you were saying about niche influencers, like you've got a niche audience. You can really, really get hyper-specific with podcasting. We know this from clients that we have that do data analytics podcasts and stuff on Amazon web services. And they're, they're big in their space and they're well-known. But you wouldn't know him from Adam if you bumped into him on the street. Like I, I would, I, I mean, I'm I'm deep in technology, but I would still never listen to an AWS podcast, right? Like that's just my personal opinion. But 
I mean, everyone's different, but some people are, right? Like DevOps professionals, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, will listen to that all day long. So it's it, and that's why it's like pod, the podcast is not the niche, it's the content vertical within the podcast that becomes the niche. Exactly. Yeah. Cause podcasts can be as broad or as specific as you need them to be or want them to be. So, right. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. Um, it's really cool. So, as as we look at the um, viral nation and how they help creators, what what do you offer for creators? Like, I come to you and I'm say I'm a sports star and I want to have you all help me and you all feel like I'm a good fit for your brand. Like, what can you do to help me? So, our concept is really centered around 360 degree monetization. So. We think of every single avenue that a creator, um, and this doesn't matter if it's sports or um, YouTubers or whatever, podcasters, really doesn't matter. Ultimately, we look at every single way of monetization. So everything from your typical brand deals to content syndication mechanisms. So how you make money off YouTube, how you make money off selling content, um, OTT um, integrations, um, we do full product and merchandise lines for our talent. So um, if talent have a really cool vertical, like here's an example, we have a cooking influencer um, that we represent and we just launched a, um, a line of this really awesome high-end um, salad bowls um, that um, she ultimately created and it's integrated in every piece of her content and her fans are just going nuts. You can't even keep it on the shelf. Um we do stuff like that. So that's our ventures arm. We do merchandise. Um, we do podcasts. So a lot of our talent do um, are really interested in getting into podcasts. And then we just think of any other way as like, we don't think of ourselves as agents. We don't think of ourselves as managers. We think of our, ourselves as business partners, the talent, right? Because all these talent are their own business at the end of the day. Um, and we have to think about every way that they can make money and be the partner to them to be able to execute on it. Cause ultimately the only thing that they should be focused on is creating content because content is their avenue for growth. And without that, they're not going to be able to monetize. So we say, Hey talent, you go create content, continue, you know, be active, be, you know, consistent, and we're going to be your monetization vehicle. That's really cool. And do you give them tools to be able to create the content? Cause I know, at some point, it's not just pulling out your phone. I mean, I was literally in Las Vegas last week creating content for an influencer. So I know how that goes. But are you all doing that? Like, how does that go? Yeah, so we do have a number of products in beta um, that we're releasing um, and or have released around giving them really good insight into their audience to understand who their audience makeup is and helping them tailor content towards that audience. Um, bringing AI into the fold to start recommending to them, hey, this is what content performed well. You should think about making this. Educational content to geared to, to them on the types of things that are really resonating right now around what content to create. And then ultimately their channel strategy. So if, say, they're a cooking influencer, where do they want to post on a daily basis? How often are they going to post on YouTube? What are they going to syndicate to Instagram? What's going to be a reel? What's going to go on stories? Are they going to have um, a TikTok presence. So it, this is all part of it, but the goal is to make this as automated as possible. So on a daily basis, talent would get a push notification to say, Hey, you know, this is how much you grew. This is your engagement. And this is the type of stuff that you should think about posting today, because this is what your audience is going to be interested in. We're away from, we're, we're getting there. And that's really um, part of our platform strategy, but 
that's where we see AI um, really playing um, a big role in the creator ecosystem. It's not creating content for them. It's helping them think through what content to create and why using data. So that's really kind of the center fuse of our creator um, product strategy. That's really interesting. I mean, AI, um, and I, of course you heard me say no when you were, we were like, it's not about creating the content for them because AI can be a terrible content creation tool as much as it can be fun to you know leverage from time to time. But I, I think that makes sense in like partnering with, and I don't know if buddying up's the right word, but like figuring out how to leverage AI, I think is that real key with, with these folks and um, being able to sift and sort through just mounds of data. I'm sure that's a big challenge for, you know, larger influencers is being able to understand what all that means and what to do next. Like that's, that's a really cool tool that you're building there. We're getting there uh, all in time. I get that. So what's top of mind for you, like at a high level, like what's top of mind for you with the industry as it stands right now? Yeah, And, and this goes back to AI. I think that I think AI is there's this misconception on it right now of what it can do and what it can't do. So I'm really bullish on thinking of AI as an enablement engine, not as a replacement. So I'm I'm really bullish on that right now, but also I'm really thinking about how creators in the creator ecosystem eventually start and you're starting to see this on a daily basis how creators displace traditional celebrities um, in terms of who is viewed as a celebrity. I mean, it's been happening every day for, you know, the past 10 years. So that's part of it. And then, you know, the other thing for me, it's just really on the brand side, being able to consistently think of ways that we can help prove ROI. Um, Because, you know, for any marketer listening to this or any marketer that really, you know, wants to dive deep in this, it's, Ultimately, and you know, even as a business, if you know you have a channel that generates ROI, why wouldn't you pour unlimited amount of funds into that channel if you can prove it? So I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do is just double, triple, quadruple down on being able to prove that and prove that to marketers saying, hey, creators um, and social is driving you know, X, Y, Z, R, Y for a brand for every dollar they spend. So it's, it's hard, especially with a lot of the limitations that are put on tracking. Um, but it's, and that's why, you know, data science is going to be a very, um, powerful, um, team internally or externally, um, AI to help that, like, this is where I think the puck is moving and it's been moving very quickly there. You know, any marketing channel is as good as the ability to prove effectiveness. So um, that's kind of really top of mind for me right now. That makes a lot of sense. And especially with with ROI, I feel like any business I've helped like start or be a part of, like there's all it all all comes back to what return are we getting on this? Because if the client doesn't see it, you know, it doesn't matter what you can do and how good you can make it look or sound like they're just not going to do it. You know, they're going to eventually be like, all right, we're done. We're moving on to whatever else that next thing is. So I can, I can understand how that's a constantly moving needle too, as algorithms shift and things like that. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So as we wrap up, what brand do you admire the most right now? There's two. Um, I'm a massive sports fan. Um, so I'm going to go in this vertical. So one I really admire is Fanatics. I think Fanatics has done an incredible job of integrating their brand into 
pop culture, society, and social. And, you know, this really starts at the top um, with their leaders and how entrenched they are in all aspects of mainstream culture. I think that I really admire them um, right now. And then the other one I really have developed um, a real liking for is ESPN on social, uh, especially. Because like they're probably, I think I saw it ranked. I think they're probably one of the number one TikToks in the world right now. They've actually made it extremely easy for any sports fan to consume bite-sized content of any game, all the you know top plays, all the top aspects of pop culture and sports embedded together. But the only thing with them, it's it's actually counterintuitive to their strategy, which is to get people to watch games on you know on streaming or TV because. If you can go to social and you watch all the bite-sized stuff, why are you going to watch the long form, right? But I really admire them. I think they've been killing it on social for a while now. So they're, they're, those are two that are really top of mind for me. I can I can definitely speak to ESPN. I'm a big Formula One fan. And so being able to see what they've done with ESPN F1 and that pop culture moment, like they're following the memes really well. They, they do a really good job of like staying on top of the humor in the sport. And that that makes me want to watch it more because you... After a while, at least for me, I want to be in a place where it's like I'm ahead of the game. So that's why I want to watch it is like I want to watch it so I know and can anticipate what the jokes will be, um, so to speak. That's a good one, too. I mean, Formula One, Formula One in the last you know three to five years is basically I, I think it all started with that Netflix series, truthfully. Um, like that's when the tide turned and Formula One became a, um, a brand. Like truly, like I think it's they've they've done an incredible job. The new peep, the new company that acquired them, it's it's like it's culty, right? The Formula One universe, right? Like it, it truly is. I love it too. Like it's I, I admire them, so that's a good one. As a whole, they've been a really good brand, just in general. And I love the. Um, I'm sure you've probably with your organization, you may or may not have worked with Formula One folks before, but. They've done like Mercedes and like any of the big brands, their social media people are incredible. Like I don't, I would love to interview them at some point, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. We actually just did a, uh, we did a deal with Charles Leclerc. Um, so we did this whole, we did this whole campaign with Charles Leclerc, um, and Meta. Yeah. So everything you see on his channel about what he just did with the, um, Meta quest, um, we did it. Um, and he's an incredible, he's an incredible guy. So you should check that out. I like Charles, my wife's, that's my wife's favorite driver. So the crush, the crush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, yeah, I, I tease her a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much for being here today. As we wrap up, just last question for you, where can people connect with you if you want to be connected with, and then where can people learn more about viral nation and yeah, anything else you want to promote? Yeah, you can connect um, directly with me on LinkedIn. So I don't know my URL offhand, but I think it's linkedin.com slash Matthew Michelli. We'll include it in the show notes. And then um, for Viral Nation, just on our website, viralnation.com, we have contact forms. All our executives are public facing on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to reach out to any of us. We'd be happy to help personally as well. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. We built this brand. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for having me.